Hey there, my name is Cara McClintock and I am the host of the Building a Better Body podcast. I am a certified health coach, a podcaster and the platform for others to share their story. My aim is to get as many experts on the show as possible, be that experts in health, experts in fitness, experts in mind, body and soul, all the good things that make up that better body. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, 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 and welcome to episode number 120 of the BBB podcast. How are you doing today? Do you know what? I'm feeling really good, possibly because I am doing a huge amount of meditating lately. You know, I've been meditating for quite some time now, initially off and on, then more regularly, but now I am actually doing one hour a day spread out of course you know 20 minutes morning 20 minutes afternoon and 20 minutes evening I think that adds up to an hour doesn't it (laughs) but you know what it's having some powerful effects on me it really is but enough about me for now I will go into that in more detail another time so as usual uh, you will hear my intro shortly from my guest but firstly I want to thank her so much for coming on. I am talking to Dr Siobhan Graham. Siobhan runs her private practice Vitalis Health right in the heart of Belfast, Northern Ireland, right up the road from me. Yay for local talent. Do you know what? I really enjoyed talking to Siobhan. She is a breath of fresh air in the world of health and more specifically GP health. She genuinely wants to help people get to the root cause of their health concerns. We had a really, really great conversation and I think we need a part two actually because we literally just tipped the surface and I believe her, you know, diverse travel experiences are truly what has got her to where she is today. She had real breakthrough moments by going away on her own at times and this is what's led her to do her own thing which is absolutely amazing so please enjoy the show and thank you Siobhan. Before we get started let me tell you I have a discount code again for the lovely guys over at Hunter and Gather Foods so if you would like to grab a packet of their collagen peptides head on over to hunterandgatherfoods.com and I will put a link in the show notes and check out with the code Karen20. So if you don't know much about collagen, it will help promote muscle repair, recovery from exercise, enhance your bone density, aid cartilage repair, regenerate and help with elasticity of your skin and connective tissue and ligaments. Here, that sounds pretty good. So if you want to grab yourself a bag, as I say, head on over to hunterandgatherfoods.com and use Karen20 at checkout. Enjoy, guys. Today on the show, I am talking to Dr. Siobhan Graham. Siobhan is an experienced GP who has recently created her own private practice called Vitalis Health. She approaches her patients with a holistic viewpoint using exercise, diet and stress reduction in order to improve health. Siobhan wants to get to the root cause of her patient's symptoms and addresses illnesses from from that starting point. Of course, Siobhan uses medicine when appropriate, but only if her holistic methods aren't appropriate. Siobhan is well-traveled and gained a lot of experience and hope she'll be able to share some of that with us today. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting Siobhan recently in person, which is actually really great because I never really get the opportunity to meet my guests in the flesh. So uh, Siobhan is such an interesting and diverse person and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation so let's get stuck in. Hey Siobhan, welcome to the show. Good morning Karen, thanks for having me. This is uh, my first time ever doing a podcast so um, yes I'm excited. Yeah, (laughs) hopefully the first of many. (laughs) Hope I don't traumatize you too much. (laughs) So let's start uh, at the very beginning. Why, Why did you decide that you wanted to become a doctor? 
So I wrote a blog on this actually, and it was really only until I began writing the blog and it was one of those kind of pieces of writing where I didn't really think about it. I just scribbled down everything as I went. And um, so there's probably some thought in there in the background, but one of those sort of like pouring of ideas onto the page without really going back and changing anything. And what I discovered was it began, so I grew up with a lot of medicine around me. My mother was a GP and I remember, you know, one of my first memories at the age of three or four, uh, I think it was um, just after one of the Olympic Games and I've forgotten her name now. It was a South African runner. What do you call the lady that ran barefooted? Oh, yes. Well, the name escapes me too, but everybody's probably familiar. Yeah. Like forgotten her name. Yes. So my mom was like, what would you like to be when you grow up? And I said I wanted to be a runner. And she was like, do you not want to be a doctor? And I was like, no way. Like you work too hard. And um, I never see you. This was at the age of three or four. And we did spend a lot of time. So patients came to our house because in those days you were on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There was no rota. There was no out of hours. And so I saw a side to medicine that involved a lot of personal time and going out in house calls with my mom into the countryside at night. So yeah, um, I decided definitely not going to be a doctor. I loved drawing. Mm. I loved building things. I thought I would be an engineer or an architect or some kind of a designer. And then at the age of, I think, 15, I'd already chosen my GCSEs and I wasn't doing biology and I was sitting in at mass one day and a lady ran in and said is there a doctor or can somebody help me and immediately I was like oh my goodness I would love to be able to help this lady and then my mum got up to help her and of course I was like oh gosh maybe maybe I would like to be a doctor or something some kind of a medical profession Mm -hmm. and then I started night classes in biology as well as going to school I just uh started that in the evening in Macrofelt and did biology, changed course and decided to do medicine. Didn't love it for the first year, I have Mm. to say. I was a little bit lost and it was really only whenever I started doing the clinical side of things, like getting into hospitals, um, where, yeah, I realized this is actually how you diagnose people. You listen to them, you look at them and, you know, I was privileged to not work under but be trained by some really experienced physicians, you know, that taught me a lot of stuff that I still use today and like teach other medical students as well so that's how I began that was a very long-winded story so oh no um, not at all very concise thank you for sharing (laughs) (laughs) I love that I love that you talked about your blog because you just start do you ever do that you just start writing and you think I've nothing to say and then all of a sudden it all comes out and you're like wow this is kind of something really great I've got down on paper here yes and it was really it was like an ode to my mother as well because then I realized how much she'd actually taught me in terms of medicine yeah you know and just little things like nuggets like she was always like don't eat processed meat from a very young age and we used to get this uh, journal it was called Deutschland it was from Germany so I would have read that and they talked about like what went into processed meats and you know, the risk, increased risk, this was then, I, I don't know what the studies were, a risk of cancer and all sorts of other things. And yeah, so at a young age, I was already thinking about the effects of food mm-hmm. on your health. Yeah. And you hear, you hear people sort of almost feel pressurized into becoming a doctor because it's in the family, you know, that's kind of expected of you, but it doesn't sound like that was your environment. You know, your mom set an example and you kind of gradually sort of naturally went towards it there wasn't any pressure was there that's what it sounds like to me anyway 
Not really. No, I mean, it's hard to remember exactly. Yeah. You know, I think the memory definitely is <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a complex kind of organism. Yeah. Um, but no, my mom never said, you, you have to do medicine. And it, coming from like an Asian background as well, that's the other thing, you know, a lot of, mm-hmm. I've certainly met a lot of colleagues and friends throughout my career, particularly in Australia and New Zealand, who felt pressurized into doing medicine. And some of them were happy and some of them weren't, mm. you know, so um, no, definitely didn't feel pressurized, but always had a, always had like a little something in me that said gosh I wonder could I do something else you know related to medicine yeah but but I have always loved it and I still love it which is great so I feel um quite blessed to actually be able to say that today because you know some of my colleagues certainly are overworked and feel overworked and stressed and do you still run (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to remember the name of this South African runner but this is what happens when you're breastfeeding through the night and sleep deprived. But um, uh-huh. do I still run? So I went for a run about two weeks ago. I went up to, um, so I take Wednesday mornings off and I went surfing. Uh, there was nice. no surf, but I got in and paddled around anyway. And um, Patagonia were doing a repair shop of wetsuits. So I brought a really old wetsuit up to get repaired. Um, and I went for a run and I ran from white rocks beach down to east strand and back up again that's right. my first one probably in a year so i've got a 12 month old and yeah. apart from to the petrol station with the pram or something like that so i haven't been back running properly mm. kind of fun. there's there's many reasons i could give you many excuses as to why i haven't started that but not yeah. not yet. yeah i have a name for you zola bud zola bud yay <laughs> who was Accused of tripping Mary Decker, I think that was it, wasn't it? And oh, then disqualified, right? and oh, so yeah. I yes. would um, love to say that just I was plucked out of my brain, but I googled it <laughs> while I was, I was talking. I google it, but um, I'm also trying to answer your questions as well. So. Yeah, multitasking <laughs> is difficult, and she's uh, she's 53. I thought she would have been older than that, but there you go. Yeah, no, she still runs. I think she lives in the United States now. I did see something about her a few years ago. I wonder what sort of state her bones and uh, ailments are after years and years of, of doing... Is it long-distance running she does? Yes, it was long-distance. So she is very slim and, yeah. you know, running can help bone density, but... Mm-hmm. Depends how she's be- looking after herself behind the scenes as well, really. You have to carry some weight there as well to stress the bones a little bit. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I told you that I did the marathon about ten years ago, and I didn't look good when I did it. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. What do you mean you didn't look good? I just looked. I looked scrawny, and I did have pains in my hips and my ankles, and just felt after it that that was just not my bag you know running was just not for me anymore I think because it gets too obsessive in that you want to go further and further and that's kind of almost the worst thing you can do for your body if you can kind of keep it to a couple of miles and a couple of times a week maybe that's okay but for me just continuing to do more and more miles was so bad for my body yeah I know and I think in my work I've met a lot of runners either marathon runners or half distance half marathon runners Mm -hmm. who don't do strength training or weight training yeah which I find unbelievable but you know some people are genetically very supple and you know maybe they're younger and they get away with it but mm-hmm. um, certainly you're more at risk of injury 
what I keep thinking is when you get older, it's harder to build muscle and then eventually you can't. So if you don't really have that much at the, you know, before you even get old, then what's going to happen, you know, to me building that muscle earlier when you can, it's going to protect your bones when you're later, later in years and you can't, you know, build that muscle. Yeah, no, I've heard it said, and I haven't looked up the research in this, but keeping a normal, obviously, body weight, first of all, in those late teen years Mm -hmm. where you're building bone density, apparently that is the kind of critical period. But saying that, so, you know, I've done research with women with rheumatoid arthritis, and that was an exercise program. Mm -hmm. They all built, so it was a randomized controlled trial with 25 patients, 26 patients, half of them doing exercise, but the half that did the exercise and the strength training, they all built strength, you know, up Mm -hmm. to something like 45% stronger than when they began. So you can certainly build strength at any age. And it's, it's, as you say, more difficult, your hormones are changing. Um, but, and the bone density, you can definitely improve as well. Yeah. But it takes a lot of work and it's better if you maintain a good weight, you know, Mm -hmm. in longer years and, throughout your life as well I, I love this we've meandered into bone density and we didn't even think we would so that's cool <laughs> the other thing about bone density and I when I was working in rheumatology I was asking the consultants about this is that um I met a lady in Costa Rica who is a psychiatrist and her brother does a lot of research into bone density and he had her wearing it was like a, a life vest mm. but with weights I think yeah. I wear them mm-hmm. and she was extremely thin and I don't know why she was very thin but um she was in her late 40s early 50s and she already had quite bad osteoporosis so um she didn't take the medication that you can take to build but what she did was she wore these weights in a jacket mm-hmm. and not actually improving her bone density very slowly but it was working but we don't do that here and I looked briefly at the research at that stage and uh it wasn't very clear, so there weren't enough studies done, which is surprising, mm. to show any kind of overall positive effect. But it seems to work for some people. So putting some weights in your backpack, yeah. if you're if you're particularly thin, could be helpful. <laughs> I, I love that because it's like if it doesn't work, it doesn't. I mean, there's no big deal. <laughs> no, it's not anything scary. You just put a bit of weight in your jacket and see yeah. what happens. Um, because yeah. o- osteoporosis is in my family. My granny had it my mom has a touch of it not bad but I'm I'm pretty sure she takes a lot of the the medication for it and I'm kind of always telling her to try alternative things but shout out to my mom listen to this doctor here try new, try new things <laughs> uh, I did just lose you there I heard your mom you said your mom has osteoporosis but do- doesn't take the medication she, don't know, she does she does she does sorry sorry yeah yeah um she no, doesn't have mis- it bad just a touch of it I think and I'm not I think it's not a cause for concern or anything, but maybe now is the time to maybe try new things to see if you can build that density back up again. Well, I believe it's, it's you have to lift at least 10% of your body weight. So if you're 60 kilos, right. it's only six kilograms. It's not a lot, actually. No, so tiny. you could be 10 kilos, you know, walk around for a few hours of the day with 10 kilos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know if I had osteoporosis, there's, this is what happens now. I, I don't know if I would want to take a lot of these drugs, you know, like a bisphosphonate, which can cause other problems elsewhere occasionally but it does work that's the thing if they do work and you have to weigh it up obviously mm. each person for sure i'm gonna i'm gonna buy her a fleece for christmas and sew in a couple of weights 
Yeah, say, no, that's not heavy at all, as you hand it to her, and, and she drops it to the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Um, so anyway, what ha- what happened to you to make you want to branch into the private sector, which is where you are now? So I don't actually know what was the trigger for mm-hmm. this particular time. You know, I opened up, opened up really the start of May, opened up the start of April, getting things ready, start of May this year. Um, while I was in Costa Rica last year and I was pregnant again, I was thinking, gosh, how am I going to go back to, you know, being a GP, these long days, intense work where I didn't feel fulfilled. Certainly the last kind of five years, six years, you know, I went back and did rheumatology again for almost a year and I really loved that. And then I was thinking, do I do this? And the some of the consultants I worked with were like why don't you come back and train and you know become a rheumatologist and then you know I'm, I'm 43 now so I thought oh my goodness that's like one of the younger doctors said that's just five years you know of training and you know I thought I'm going to be 50 I'll probably get 10 years of rheumatology and then you know I don't know I, I, I couldn't I couldn't see that happening mm. um and then looking at general practice I kept thinking is it going to change? You know, will it change in Northern Ireland, particularly as a locum GP? So I've done that for 10, 11 years while also working in hospital medicine at the start for about three years and doing a bit of traveling and, you know, personal circumstances have, have kept me in it. And um, I, locum in itself, I felt depending on where I worked, sometimes I felt overworked, you know, mm. you, you get paid for these four hour sessions and, these four-hour sessions turn into five-hour sessions and, you know, you don't bill anybody per hour. And so actually that came into it and I could only ever work three full days a week. And so I felt kind of a bit overworked. Um, I felt that I wasn't giving the patient, you know, everything they needed and in 10 minutes. And I did for some patients, I really did like run through exercises yeah. print them out something on diet um, maybe even leave something at the front desk for them to pick up and you know I did try my best to really give the patient everything in that time and, and then what happens is that you yourself sort of feel overworked mm-hmm. um, probably a little bit stressed I'm not totally sure about that but I certainly had a bit of stress in my life after my mum passed away that was 2009 and I remember meeting up to do an appraisal as part of my work and um GP was like yeah Siobhan definitely there's a lot of stress going on there and you know cut down your work I had been doing almost four to five days a week and so I cut that right down to three days and um but still I didn't feel like it was just really what I wanted to do I did have loads of good periods of work you know it's hard to look back now and be really subjective or sorry objective Mm. about it but in the last so Okay, I'll take you back to even before I became a GP. So 2004, I was doing pediatrics in the Causeway Hospital. And mm-hmm. I remember having a chat to some colleagues and friends. And I was like, yeah, I just want to open a, a retreat center and have these like seaweed bath, holistic, natural products. And, yeah. you know, and, and chat to people and spend more time with them. This was even before I became a GP. Mm. And this kind of got lot, left by the wayside. And then... I met my husband about seven years ago and he's from the United States and I was already doing a lot of yoga at the time and mindfulness. Um, And then I went back to Costa Rica and did a retreat. This was a yoga 
and cleansing retreat. You know, some doctors will go, oh my goodness, I would never do a cleanse where you, you know, get everything out of your intestines. But I'm willing to try a lot of things. And, you know, I think just because it isn't mainstream medicine or it hasn't been studied doesn't mean it doesn't work. And as long as it's not harmful. Yeah. Went off and did this. And yeah, and I met a lot of interesting people through that. And then I've been back and forth to Costa Rica, obviously visiting my husband. That was a long-term relationship initially. And that really was the beginning where I thought, you know, I don't think the way I'm practicing medicine is particularly useful to a lot of people. Yes, I was getting lots of nice feedback or comments from patients going, thank you so much, or that really helped me, or one thing and the other, or even a note now and again. Mm. It's not that that happens, but um, yeah, but I still didn't feel like this was the way I wanted to spend my life practicing medicine. I kind of felt like a bit of a robot, actually, and then... Somehow in the last year in Costa Rica on maternity with our first daughter, I said, yeah, I'm going to open a private practice. And that was it. And I didn't really have anything else behind that. I didn't know where it was going to be, how it was going to look. And even now, you know, it's it's evolving and it's probably going to continue to evolve over the next couple of years. So, yep, that's it. Vitalis Health is born. (laughs) Vitalis Health was initially called Soul Deep Health. So. My husband asked me, what is it you want to do? And I said, yeah, I want to help people, as you said, yeah. get to the root of their problems and also like help them with their mind. Like, what is it that's holding them back? Why is it so difficult to make these changes in life as it is? Behavioral changes are the biggest obstacle for most people, yes. including myself. So yeah, soul deep health. And then we, some colleagues in rheumatology were like, Siobhan, that's a bit out there. Uh, maybe go for something a bit more mainstream and then I came up with longevity helping people live longer better lives and uh, that's vitalis meaning life so ah nice so so to circle back around a wee bit you so you're overworked and you felt a bit unfulfilled and you went to a retreat in Costa Rica and that just opened your eyes and then you just had this kind of awakening moment of right I'm going to go out there and do my thing because you're obviously really passionate about helping your clients and now you know you have that time to do it and that's I think it's an exciting time for you <laughs> you can tell you're so passionate about what you do and I love that you've got all this time now to really get to the root cause of your patients problems so you said there wasn't really a, a moment but there kind of was there was a story there where you were a little bit unfulfilled and then the retreat was kind of the the thing that opened your eyes a little bit more yeah I think so and I met some wonderful doctors believe it or not so the place I went to was a surfing is a surfing kind of mecca the wave is not amazing but it's consistent all year round it's great for beginners as well Mm -hmm. and there's lots of other great surf spots nearby it's a yoga mecca as well but I met doctors who were there just on holidays or living really from America all of them from the United States and one of the first doctors I met he was in his early 60s still working he had been a family physician or a GP prior in his earlier life and he felt unfulfilled and he went back and he did um it was palliative care and he became like a pastoral doctor Mm. and I couldn't believe it I was listening to this man and he was so softly spoken he loved his work and he was paid he was definitely paid for what he did but it seemed like he went in in a pastoral capacity to help bridge the gap between the busy doctors who were explaining you know, sometimes awful diagnoses to different mm-hmm. patients and then, you know, t- trying to communicate that to the patient. 
so sort of bridging that gap and patients had time with him and I thought gosh that's you know that's amazing you know mm-hmm. and, and we have great palliative care doctors here who obviously have more time with patients but um yeah and then who else did I meet so yeah and Brian Stafford who whose book that's not his book but um who recommended me the book that you're reading Soulcraft so yes, uh, we'll talk about that in a second yeah <laughs> it just shows you how important it is to get it sounds so obvious but and you hear people say it all the time but to get out and do new things and meet new people because that aren't like ourselves because you don't know where that's going to lead you you know if you hadn't have gone away and, and met these new people you could still be doing exactly what you were doing and kind of feeling unhappy about it. it and a lot of people don't do that you know they just stay where they are and all of a sudden life's over and they've kind of spent their whole time being unfulfilled and overworked but you, you took that step out of your comfort zone and, and got to meet all these exciting new people I love it and there's so there's so much to learn in the world and oh, so yeah. much and so like and I'd never heard of the China study that was until 2009 when I was in Costa Rica so that's how I read about the China study and I know that book is controversial in a lot of people's minds but you know even something like that just to think differently about the way you eat or the way you you do something and you know I came across another book on that retreat it was a doctor somewhere in the United States who was using these cleanses on people with psoriasis and he did these case studies where he showed the rashes, awful psoriasis all over the body, put them through a cleanse, and essentially they're fasting as well for a week. Mm. And um, I mean, they get liquids, obviously, but their psoriasis just cleared up. So things like that, and I know that that's anecdotal as well, but still, it gives you food for thought, and often great studies start from these little case studies. That's why we have case studies, you know. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> no, perfect. Uh, so yes, Soulcraft, you recommended it to me. and I, You know the way people recommend you books, and you kind of go, yeah, yeah, very good, but I, there was something that drew, drew me to this to actually buy it. So yes, I bought it. I can't put it, I haven't finished it yet, but it's, it's just very engaging. And I might do a, a book review review on it on the show actually at some point because I like doing those what I will ask is and listeners will understand why if they read it how important do you think it is to go off grid for a bit down your technology uh, and for want of a better phrase find your true self and is that kind of what you did in Costa Rica yeah I think society just doesn't really allow that you know it doesn't promote it it doesn't support people in doing that schools don't really support teenagers in, you know, discovering who they are, giving them a little bit of freedom to go off into the wilderness, you know, on a hike. And I know some schools do those, what is it, the something of Edinburgh, Duke of Edinburgh. Duke of Edinburgh Award, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they, 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 that's a wonderful thing. And we didn't have that in our school, certainly when I was there. But, I mean... I think everyone needs it and the, the world is huge and we're, we're talking about a very privileged group of people who can actually go out and do this kind of thing mm-hmm. you know even what we're what I'm talking about today you know a lot of the world is people are living in poverty they're living in war zones you know where they're not really thinking about oh I'll try fasting or I'll try this diet or I'll try and go to the gym more often or I'll meditate or whatever you know they're living to survive like their basic needs are not met so really addressing that as well and and remembering that there are people out there that can't avail of this kind of thing Mm -hmm. but for anyone living maybe in Belfast or wherever your listeners are from 
you know, where your life is fairly comfortable, maybe you're on social media. Yeah, I think you need to get out into wilderness, get out there on your own, even every day going for a walk somewhere where it's quiet. You know, yeah. the mind really isn't used to sitting looking at a screen. There's so much stimulation and we don't we, we don't know the full effects of it. But also the other side of social media is that people do get a lot back from it. There's that social element, you know, you've got friends. It's a great way of keeping in contact. So there's certainly a balance in how technology, you know, technology is wonderful, but how technology can be um, incorporated into your lifestyle. For me, yes. So I I kind of did this um, in 2010. So after I had my appraisal where I acknowledged that, yes, gosh, I'm probably stressed. So I bought a camper van and um, I decided to take a couple of months off and I drove, a friend of mine came with me from Cork, she's also a doctor, and uh, we drove down through France and into the north of Spain and my friend Mary left and I spent two months there and I really lived very simply and it was, I was still studying my master's in sports medicine, so I had a big sports medicine textbook with me, but I got up every day, I did yoga, I went for a run, so I was running every day there on the beach, I went surfing, cooked all my meals, um, went for long walks, had just the most amazing time and connection with nature, so the north of Spain is is beautiful if anyone gets a chance to go there, and this was just east of Santander in a little place called Laredo, so that was the first time I'd really done that in my life, and I couldn't believe it, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. You know, how do I incorporate work into this a little bit, you know? And yeah. yeah. And I felt wonderful and I was the fittest I'd ever been in my life without a doubt, even though I'd always done a lot of sports, but I was fit. I was lean. I was eating so well. I felt great, you know, mentally. And so that's my personal yeah. experience. But yeah. So, and obviously once you travel, you meet a lot of people who are doing similar things. They are living out of their backpack. So then a couple of years after that, I did the Camino to Santiago de Compostela. And that was very similar, walking every day, a lot of the time on my own. Yeah. Uh, with a six kilo backpack, so a very light load. Again, meeting amazing people. And people, but connecting with nature. So every day through these different landscapes, really eating basically so sometimes canned tuna I know it's in a can (laughs) baked bread from somewhere I know it's bread everybody and (laughs) then extra virgin olive oil loads of vegetables and you know eating the fish whatever was whatever was available just eating that came and then cycle so I ended up I injured my leg but um I bought a bicycle and then cycled up to the north coast and then did the north camino backwards Again, a very quiet and lonely time. It was quite lonely because I stopped after two weeks because every day I was just on my own all day long and I only met people when I stopped in the evening at the albergues. That's like the hostels that you stay in. And so after two weeks, I was kind of like, oh, I think this might be enough, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I I bust back to where I started. But um, but yeah, it felt wonderful. Totally, you know, skin looked wonderful. I felt wonderful. Looking back on all the photos, you know, I, I... wrote a tiny short blog on Instagram there about smiling and you know when you have kids and you you don't maybe have a lot of support in terms of family around you it is intense and recently I've been noticing my goodness I find it hard to smile whereas you know 
prior to this I was a very happy person and pretty you know smiley I love that there's just there's something wonderful about stripping everything back and keeping it basic but like you say after a while of being isolated I think you need to have that community back again don't you you need to interact with people that's kind of what keeps everybody mentally healthy as well you do and I did meet people you know some of the people that own the albergues were really lovely and you know they would sit up and you know chat to me in the evenings and I met one man who was doing it on the opposite direction talked Mm -hmm. to him briefly but really it was very uh I, I was isolated in a way but totally at one with nature you know all the photographs it's just me with the background of trees and the ocean and mm. you know that that's pretty much all there is on that that stretch on the north coast and yeah and and and, and you said at the social side so even though every day on the Camino Frances like a lot of the time I was walking on my own but met a lot of really great people who I'm still in contact with but the connection when people share their story with you and some people have quite a negative story, you know, where they really haven't found a way to get out of the rut they're in. Yeah. A lot of people don't share the true story with you. And Mm. and this happened, you know, where one gentleman I'd met told me he was doing it for one reason. And then when we got to the end and um, I met him when we got to Santiago de Compostela and he was in his 60s and still working uh, from Scandinavia and he cried to me and he was like you're my angel because I was trying to show him where to go (laughs) (laughs) and he strapped up his knee a couple of times because he had a swollen knee and that that allowed him to keep walking but um and he and then we went for lunch he wanted to take me for lunch and he cried to me and he told me exactly why he was doing it and it was a different reason and sometimes we're too proud to really so I'm too proud to say to you oh gosh yes I was stressed out then or to share a story that might somebody might interpret differently and that's it we're afraid of what people think of us we're afraid that they're gonna say oh gosh well you're not that strong or or you're weak or whatever it is yeah so this this man who was very fit very tall handsome Scandinavian man in his 60s cried to me and told me exactly what it was and he said that he was uh stubborn I think it was selfish selfish mm. he realized that he had been extremely selfish to his family and um and that was it you know and was was really sorry <laughs> so, wow yeah so I'm laughing but really it's like you know it's very moving when yeah. people share these stories with you and um and that's life and yeah. you know that that's kind of part of what I'm doing as well just listening to people's stories and really you know making them feel like there's somebody listening and there's somebody that wants to help them. And I might not be able to help everybody. And and that's the case, you know, but at least they've got somebody that's there. And and a lot of GPs do that as well. So, you know, they, they spend years building relationships with their patients, but that that's changing because we just don't have a lot of time yeah. with patients. And so, you know, that might be for patients you've known for 20 years, but quite often now people don't go to see their GP either. So, no. you know, they can't get an appointment or they're rushed or whatever. But so, yeah, one of the things I try to do is really make people feel like that I'm listening to them. You know, they get that social support as well. You know, I've got that time where I'm not draining myself either. Sorry, I'm coming back to, to what I do. That's okay. <laughs> You're passionate. It's coming through. So social side is huge. And that's one thing I'm trying to do. I was saying to my husband, I would like to do something in the city center, even a lunchtime meditation where people can come in, 
you know, however many I can accommodate and I could lead a, a short meditation at lunchtime and get to know people in the city as well. So, Oh, I love that. I'm actually personally thinking about doing a meditation teacher training as well. Just really getting stuck into it. I'm, I'm excited to start that myself. Good for you. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> One more question for you. You are really passionate about going into workplaces then and sharing this passion. So if, if you go into a workplace, what does a workshop with Siobhan look like? Okay, so it looks like, it, I mean, it depends on the group of people, really. And one of the things, and I learned this from my husband in, from who's in education, is trying to gauge who your audience are and what they really want to hear about. And you can't please everybody. But for me, if, if I could have full reign, it would really be something where I'm not just talking to you, but giving a short talk at the start just about health in general and the foundations of good health and then really getting into small groups where we can discuss the challenges of leading a healthy life and then bringing a few of those challenges up onto a board and then saying right well how can we tackle these challenges and you know what can you do in your workplace to create a healthy environment can you have then like a little healthy group that meets to you know could even have a few different groups to tackle different challenges so there might be people trying to lose weight or somebody that you know isn't feeling great mentally in terms of mood and Mm -hmm. you know there are all these different types of conditions affect all of us and so we're all working so they have to be in the workplace as well so it's actually creating a bridge then between your GP and your workplace where people in the workplace actually are educated a little bit on how to deal with these and be empathetic because some of us are quite stoical and certainly if you're in leadership and you know you're a boss who is somebody that soldiers on you know the flu doesn't affect you yeah. common cold you just get up and get on with it and and you can't understand how other people you know it really affects them quite badly yeah. and all different that's it and it's naive to think that oh the common cold it's like nothing you know some of us are have stressful lives at home or you know maybe you've had an experience in your past where whenever you get the common cold you think you're dying or you know whatever it is you know or you just can't yeah. deal with it mentally so it's really that, that's it's a very vague answer but no without giving it all away I don't want to give away all yeah, my secrets exactly no keep that close <laughs> to your chest but it sounds like it's a really you know proactive approach nobody wants to sit and watch somebody lecture them about what they should be doing for an hour sitting there you know getting people into grips really kind of listening actively I love that I can, I can literally visualize it now <laughs> Yeah, and doing a bit of meditation, like I find, so when I did my yoga teacher training, one of the most powerful things was the regular meditation, the journaling, and then the listening, the active listening exercises. And that was the first time I'd ever done that. And so I keep mentioning my husband, but he's very good at that. (laughs) (laughs) And I realized, and I read an article just this week, it came came up a month ago, but it came up again on my email, and it was about um, bias in medicine as doctors, and uh, the title was, if you hear hoofs, do you think it's a zebra, or do you think it's a horse, and in medicine, there's so many biases that we bring as practitioners, Mm. so it's our own personal experience, oh, I had that, and I did this, you know therefore you should do the same like why can you not do that why are you reacting to that but when you actually listen to somebody actively you try your best to leave your thoughts your immediate oh I can solve that I can fix that behind and listen and I still make the mistake of doing that so I 
I'm not perfect at mm. being an active listener, but doing that exercise really helped me and I am getting better at it. But it helped me listen to patients and really then ask them like what is it that's holding you back? What is it you want to do? As opposed to me saying, Oh yes, no, I have the solution. I can fix it. You know, because <laughs> you know, that that might not even be what they want. So active listening and that yeah. helps them be just better friends or better partners or you know, better siblings actively listening to people around you and they, and then they feel validated they don't feel that you're suddenly listening but looking at them you know with furrowed a furrowed brow going hmm, yeah. I don't know what the problem is or whatever it may be yeah I love that and being a podcast host I've had to get better at actively listening for sure <laughs> <laughs> And I did, I did a course a long time ago, uh, an introduction to counselling course, and it was very big on active listening. And I still take that with me today where I just, try, I'm, I'm not perfect as well, not a chance, but you try and go, I'm just going to listen to this person and not say anything for a bit. And then they open up more and they feel like you're being more genuine with them. It's, it's a whole really, really nice way to have a conversation with somebody. So everybody listening out there, have, try a little bit of active listening today. Just don't speak until they've finished speaking, you know, because we are keen to just kind of get our point across. We're too quick to kind of say what what is happening with us instead of just literally sitting there and listening to somebody. Yeah, and even reflecting back and saying yeah. what you've heard. Yeah. Because quite often you forget a lot of what the person has told you. So, um yeah. Obviously, you can't. I can't do that with every patient. I would. That would take forever. <laughs> yeah, it's just getting fine tuning the skill and then seeing when you can bring it out. <laughs> exactly. So, Siobhan, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I ask everyone this question: If you could give our listeners one final thought today, one Siobhan nugget that they can incorporate into their lives in order to build that better body, what would that be? So, I'm actually just looking at my bookcase, and I haven't thought about this answer because I knew you were going to ask me that. And, uh, <laughs> So one of the books that's actually protruding out towards me, I think that's ah, the sign. <laughs> I love it. Is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I actually gave a copy of this because I had two copies of it. One that one that I had written all over, but I had one in work in my office and I gave it to a patient a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I hope, I don't know if she'll ever listen to this podcast, so I hope that that has helped her. But yes, I came across this book. I don't know if you've heard of it, have you? Yes, um, remember I was talking to you about this whenever we met up. I, it keeps coming up to me, but I still haven't bought it. So I feel okay. like this is the last sign. <laughs> Get that bought. <laughs> yes, I was in California in a place called San Anselmo, and I was volunteering for a week. This was about five or six years ago, volunteering at a center called the the Cedars of Marin mm-hmm. and I've just forgotten the name of the Victory Center it's a pretty cool name yeah, and yeah. I was walking past and uh, I just called in because there was so much artwork so I, I love to paint and draw there was artwork all over the windows it looked amazing I called in and said what's going on and there I could see there were some adults with Down syndrome and my younger brother Christopher has Down syndrome mm-hmm. and I asked them could I come and volunteer and so there were professional artists some of the most amazing artists I've met so I haven't met lots of artists of a great artist who's a neighbor uh, Susan Hughes I'll just give her a wee plug but um, anyway and um, I said could I volunteer came back and while I was volunteering I was just you know drawing with some of the students and stuff like that and you know helping them out clear up and stuff and I came across this book and I couldn't believe it I started reading it every day as I was in there then I bought it, came home, did it with one of my good friends, 
uh, Mary Hughes down the road, who's sadly passed away, but started that with her. And um, it was completely life changing for me, this book. So if you are listening and um, probably some of you have already heard of it, it's, it's not a it's not a new book by any means. But one of the things I took away from it was put your intentions out there. If there's something you really want to achieve, you know, if you're religious, people pray for things. But there's a psychological background to that. And it really does remind you, it gives you a positivity to sort of strive towards your goal. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do, and I think I told you about this, was present this case history that I'd had for about eight years. And then I eventually presented it down in Dublin at a conference and it went fantastic. I started doing the morning pages every day, journaling, and suddenly could work out where I was getting stuck, you know, mentally, what things would really get me stuck and how I would interpret interactions with people day to day. And, um, yeah, it really shows you, shows you your weak points and also gives you, gives you ideas on how to look after yourself. It's, it's all about looking after yourself and you'll probably realize if you do this, that you don't look after yourself that well, you think you do. And just taking time for yourself. So it might be going for a walk or going and buying something silly not that I totally advocate that now in a world of consumerism where there's so much affecting the environment negatively, but doing something for yourself and I um, can't remember what else is in there, but yeah. yes, The Artist's Way, definitely. I could recommend a lot of books, but um, yes. that one is pointing at me right at this moment. So I love that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Put your intentions out there. And there is something about writing things down that helps you move forward. I don't know what it is, but it's just some sort of brain activity that once it's on paper, then you're like, right, clarity is coming and I'm going to start moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, we don't do that. People don't write that much anymore. We I send know. these handed text messages and you know, but actually taking time to sit down and write. And it is hard. Like some people just don't have a lot of time. And I totally sympathize because at the minute I have not read a book. I can't, I mean, I'm reading obviously journal articles and stuff, mm-hmm. but an actual novel, I haven't had the luxury of sitting down on a sofa and saying, oh, I'll read for a few hours just now. But yeah. that will come. Yes. That will come. Yes. <laughs> and then Siobhan, where is the best place for people to connect with you on the web if they want to stalk you a little bit? <laughs> So I recently restarted my Facebook Vitalis Health Belfast page as in started trying to post a bit more regularly through via Instagram, Mm -hmm. but I'm on Instagram. So it's at Vitalis Health Belfast, I believe. And yeah, you can find me. I'm in the city center on Howard Street, 50 at Howard Street and uh, open Monday to Friday. How else can you contact me? Yeah, I've got a website. So that's Vitalis Health dot co dot uk so um, and i'm always happy to hear from people and you can send me a message on facebook some people do send me really big long emails just all about their health and stuff but um, maybe at some point i'll be able to do some i met a a nutritionist recently she does webinars maybe at some point i'll be able to do something like that where i can then direct people to a webinar or something like that so uh, watch this space and I will put all those links in the show notes for people to just click and go so no stress there love it so Siobhan thank you so much for coming on the show I really enjoyed that conversation you are very articulate and passionate and inspiring and I hope people can take something away from our chats today lovely well thank you very much Karen and um, we are going 
to get into the camper van and go to the beach at Helens Bay. So, oh, so good. that's being planned. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you, Karen, and I hope we can keep in contact and uh, meet up again in the yes, future. Absolutely. Just before you head off, I want to say a big thank you for listening today. I truly, truly appreciate you. Now, I don't make any money from this show. I just wanted to tell you that it's all just a passion project and I hope it just kind of resonates with you. But if you do want to support the show, you can do so with Patreon. And if you aren't sure what that is, head on over to karamcclintock.co.uk forward slash support the show and you can find out more there. Bye for now.